But here, here's what I want to do today. A, a few years ago, I remember I was, I was laying on the floor with one of my kiddos. And as we laid there, we put our feet up onto the couch and we were talking about different things. He kept asking me different questions and they were super fun questions. He kind of got quiet for a second. And then all of a sudden he said to me, kind of out of nowhere, Dad, how big is God? Now, you know this. You don't get these moments all the time with your kiddos. And so in that moment, I was kind of caught a little off guard and I was looking up at the ceiling. There was a, I can still see the ceiling fan above our stairs. And in response to him, I just said, I don't know, buddy, like how big do you think God is? I feel like this morning, kind of as we get ready to dive into Romans 8, and if you got your Bible, you can go there. We're going to be starting in verse 28, but I really do think this is probably one of the biggest questions or potentially even the biggest question that we need to be asking right now. In fact, I'm going to ask it to you this morning. I'm going to try to give you some answers to those questions, and I'm going to just kind of leave it kind of rhetorical a little bit too to let you kind of wrestle with this idea of how big you believe God is. But in this wrestle through what it means to, to, to be God's people, to be God's people in the midst of a pandemic, to, to live for him, to know him, to walk through struggles and stuff, suffering, and, and even some of just the angst and the moaning that we've been talking about from the book of Romans 8, I really do think this wrestle with how big God is is one of the most important questions that we can be asking. This week, you didn't know it, but I was actually prepping you for today. The first day we talked about thankfulness and we put together the, the devotionals. We talked then about we all need to settle down. We, we talked about the need to confess. We talked about yesterday, this idea of weight. And we're going to talk about today when we ask this question, how big is God? I really do think what Paul's trying to do for the Romans, trying to do for us, is to remind us that we can have confidence in who God is. Maybe not a confidence like we want maybe in the time or, or a confidence that we normal, normally place ourselves, our confidence in. But I would say this, the only sure and safe and secure confidence that there is. So in my head and looking at Romans 8, 28 through 30, there's, there's basically three things that jump out to me. And I'll, I'll try to walk through those and we can kind of set the stage a little bit for where I think we need to go. But the very first thing that we find, if you're kind of looking into your text, is it says in there that, that for those who love him, all things work together for good for those who are also called according to his purpose. Now, Shannon quoted it. She quoted it in regard to just what God had done, this powerful work of healing her. But sometimes, I don't know about you, but I feel like we kind of throw that around flippantly. I don't think we ever just stop and wrestle with the reality of what exactly Paul is saying there that he causes all things to work together for good. We kind of throw it out as kind of a self-help saying that, you know, hey, hang in there, partner, Romans 8, 28. And I say that because let me, just, let me just kind of throw this out there so we can understand why we need to think through this. When he says what he says in Romans 8, 28, it is only good for those who love him and for those who are now called according to his purpose, unless the love of God has been poured out in your heart and you've come to him by faith, embraced him, and truly been shown to be one of those who've been called according to his purpose. Let me just say this off the front end. This is not for you. That's why, man, we could try to get on all the time, whether we're in here or online, and just cry out to you the gospel of Jesus because we want you to experience the goodness of God. But at the end of the day, the only people that can press in, that can snuggle into this promise are those that are followers of Jesus. 
I think the second thing that's so important about this when you understand it is that it also doesn't mean that somehow in our little kind of microcosms of our world that everything is going to turn out okay. I, I don't know what's going to happen in the midst of this pandemic. I think when I started, I was probably more fearful of the virus. And as we've gone over time, I've become less fearful of the virus and probably more fearful of the kind of the societal and maybe the financial doom that appears to be coming our way. But here's what I think Paul is saying, because by the time we get to verses 29 through 30, and if you got that, and again, we're asking this question, how big is God? He's working it out in such a way that he is going to right all things. What kind of a God is that? How big must God be that he takes all of our sin and insecurity, the, the realities of living in a fallen world, and he weaves them together into this massive tapestry that we wonder how in the world can God make everything right? But at the end, the tapestry is going to be woven together and it's going to be good. In verse 29, he explains it more why we can have this confidence. And I think it brings us to this second thing because it tells us who's weaving this tapestry. Again, if I'm weaving the tapestry, y'all better get out. Like you don't want to trust Todd to weave a tapestry in which he's pulling all these threads together and, and piecing them in such a way that at the very end of it, it says good because I've tried that and I'm not good at that. But in this text, in verse 29, we start to see why we can have confidence. It's not Todd. It's not me. It's not you. It's not our government. It's not all the things that we find safety and security in. Look at verse 29. I'm going to emphasize this. You can kind of catch the second thing. We can have confidence because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. I hope you caught that. Our God is in control. I know sometimes it doesn't feel like it. And in fact, when I either talk to my friends, you know, on Zoom or maybe see them from a distance or I look on social media, God help us there. It does feel like things are so out of control, but God is in the center of this. He has a plan and a purpose and he connects it. He shows us what it is in this idea of something that he saw beforehand, meaning before the world was even created, he knew he was going to call out into this world of people that were his. And when he called out, this group of people were going to respond. And in their response, he was going to write them. He was going to justify them. But this kind of brings us to our third thing. Not only is he in control, but he's also now working everything towards his intended end, what he started. That's Paul's point. He can't be stopped. Remember Shannon said, she said, our God is an unstoppable God. He's a God that is weaving everything together for good in such a way that he receives glory and we benefit from that reality. He weaves it together in such a way that I'm so thankful it's him and not us or not our leaders or not whatever it is. And I'm so thankful that what he started, I'm here to tell you, it is 100% sure that he is going to get the world from point A to point B and point B is gonna be a place where this world will no longer have pain and sickness and suffering. We won't hear any testimony 
testimonies about needing to be healed because every one of us will be fully healed. We won't hear testimonies of our sinfulness and our wretchedness. Instead, we'll hear testimonies of finally becoming, and I love what he does in verse 29, becoming shaped into the image of Jesus, what we've longed for our entire existence. Jesus truly will be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Oh, we long for that day. He's crafting it together so that it's going to be good. It is him that's doing it and no one else. Don't you ever think that somehow you are in any way crafting your rescue from this fallen world. And I promise you at the end of the day, 100% that he can't be stopped. That's what I mean. It should just fuel our confidence. It should cause us to wake up in the morning and go, no way. We're being formed and shaped and molded even through the hard times and the good times into the people God wants us to be. And it's all moving towards this moment of glory where finally God, who has a plan, pulls all of it together. It includes us. And we are then reminded, 1 Corinthians 15, our God truly is unstoppable. So when we ask the question off the front end, how big is our God? Well, what God can take all the junk in this world and weave it together for our good and weave it together so he receives glory and to show the world that he's unstoppable? I'll let you decide for yourself, but that's a pretty big God. It's no wonder. Now look down there. Look down in verse 31. I just love this. It's no wonder Paul says, what then? Shall we say in response to this, if God is for us, who can be against us? I just feel like right now Christians are so woeful and and mourning where we're at in this world. Christian, I I know it's hard and I know it's difficult and I know everything that's going on around us makes us want to quit. But if God is for us, who can be against us? Are you kidding me? The logic of this text is get to this point where it pushes us just to, to the heights of confidence. It means that the more now that, that God is, is moving and graciously moving in our way, everything that he does and all that he's bringing everything to do, he will defeat evil. He will defeat sickness. He will defeat death. He will f- defeat all these things that we're so worried about. And again, I'm not saying this towards you alone. My life of worry and angst and struggle He's working it all to the very end where I would say it this way. I think we can write our names in this very statement. The very statement that says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, just listen to this. If God is for Todd, now you may not have a cool rhyming that goes along with this, but mine's pretty cool. But still, just go with me. If God is for Todd, who can be against him? Put your name in there. Just say it out loud. If God is for, now insert your name, who could be against you? If God is for Cornerstone, who could be against us? If God is for his church, who can be against us? This is what Paul is just doing. He's, he's bringing the truths of God's word and just elevating people up and reminding them that we can be thankful. We can be blown away by our God. We can confess ourselves. We can slow down. We can, we can wait on him. Why? Because our God is unstoppable. I know in the back of somebody's heads, you know, they're saying, God, Todd, be really practical. Can you, can you just nail this down for me a little bit more? 
Now, you know from the beginning, I've wanted you to know who God is. I've wanted you to know how big he is. I've wanted you to know who you are as a child of the king, of the one who's been purchased by Jesus Christ. If God is for us or, or even what, not only who can be against us, but what can be against us. It's why I keep saying this is our time. This is our place. This is our moment. God has designed us for this moment, but you're still saying to yourself, maybe, Todd, I know, but we're scared, we're frustrated. And let me just do some but Todd statements that you might be having in your head. But Todd, and I'm gonna read these out so I get them, this virus really scares me, and I get that. In Romans 8, Paul tells us that creation is groaning, that little virus that has caused so much turmoil in our world and has caused our world to groan so much has reminded us that we live in a world that's warped by sin. But even if you suffer, Romans 5, your suffering produces endurance and your endurance produces character and your character produces what? Hope. Why in the world would I be fearful of what God is using to increase my hope? Not only that, but now worst case scenario, let's say I die. Well, Paul has a great answer for that in Philippians 1. To live is Christ and to die is gain. All right, but Todd, the isolation we're under is really beginning to mess with me. I know that you may feel alone. And let me just say this, especially our single brothers and sisters in Christ. Gosh, I've been praying for you so hard this week. I know the feeling of loneliness, even though I've got a lot of people in my house. I think there's just a loneliness that's come over all of us. But one of the amazing ideas that Paul keeps drawing us to all throughout Romans is that we're not just anybody, but we're a part of a family. That's why it says in Romans 8, 29, that we're, we're part of this group that, that Jesus now is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. There's no doubt God has given us his spirit and he's given us his word but brothers and sisters in Christ, there's also another reality. He's given us his family. If you are one right now that feels lonely, do not isolate yourself. Fight back against the evil one and the sin that has got you trapped and call up and get on Zoom, even though I can't stand Zoom now, but get on it and, and, and allow God to pour into your life this reality of God's people. But why would God do it? Because God is for us. Here's another one. Todd, I really need to be with my church at Cornerstone. And get, don't get me wrong. I so wish that right now you were here with me. I know that you're probably sick of a two-dimensional Sunday worship service. And no offense to Steve who's on this camera right now, but I am sick of staring at that camera instead of faces. But I've had some questions in the back of my head I'm just gonna throw at you. Maybe God is teaching us something right now. And to hurry back into this building, we won't learn what we need to learn. What if he's reminding us that this church is not a building at all, but it's a people? Like I was talking about in the book of Romans, it's not a building. The church is not a building. We're a, we're a family. What if he's trying to get us less dependent upon a building so that we might be more effective at being his family? What if the doors that we feel are closed now have actually been barriers that have kept us from not only loving each other well, but also now being the gospel people to the world? What if he closed the doors for us? All right. But Todd, I feel like I'm failing as a parent. And let me just tell you, this one's mine, by the way. 
One of the main threads, though, of the book of Romans that I've just been clinging through in all the struggles and trying to be a, a dad that God wants me to be is that our sin and our failure have been righted by Jesus. They have been righted, are being righted, will be righted. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And not only that, but through the power of the Spirit and through the, the reality of God's people, we can parent even under the toughest circumstances. Again, trust me, my wife and I are totally struggling this one. But why would God do this? Because God is for us. But Todd, the virus was scary, but what really scares me is the coming financial and societal mess. Listen, when you read Romans 1.18 through 3.20, it's easy to see that since Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, humanity has been in a series of financial and societal upheavals. This coming mess, whatever it be, won't be the first and probably won't be the last. But listen to me. On the other side of this mess, when people, including us, are stripped of our idols that we think will keep us safe, are stripped of the idols that will keep us comfortable, are stripped of the idols that will keep us secure, we will learn again, I believe, like the church has learned for 2,000 years, God is for us. But Todd, don't you see the government overreach in our lives and the way in which our rights are being ripped away? Don't you, Todd, feel like there's something evil underneath this? And my answer is yes. There's been something evil under this since Adam and Eve fell. And by the time you get to the book of Revelation, in Revelation 13, we learn that there is sin. There is an evil one. There is an antichrist. There is a false prophet. There is a dragon. There's all those realities. But yet in the middle of all of it, when Paul wrote to the Romans, the church was under an absolute fierce, true, tyrannical rule. In fact, they felt so much oppressed by it that I think a lot of these letters were shaped by living under that kind of a rule. The emperor Claudius, who was kind of the ruler right before Paul wrote the letter, he was the first emperor to probably bring persecution to bear on Christians. In fact, he kicked all of the Jews that were Christians out of Rome. Who came after him? Nero. Remember him? The dude that took Christians and crucified them, lit them on fire to light his garden. And yet Paul still in Romans 13, one says to be subject to the governing authorities. But why? I think sometimes we as Christians think life is supposed to be easy, that we're supposed to just skate through things. Did we forget that Jesus' true son, the son of God, Jesus Christ, walked a brutally difficult path? And what if he's asking us to do the same, not because he doesn't love us, but because he intensely loves us and he loves the world that we live in. He wants to show us off through heartache and difficulty and all those different things. So now, whether you live in a constitutional republic or even inside of, I don't know, a, a communist regime, we obey the government commands as long as they ask us to, unless they command us to do what God forbids or forbid us to do what God commands. But we will stay in there knowing full well, because when you read the rest of Romans 13, 1, our God is the supreme ruler over all governments. He causes governments to rise and rulers to rise. And let me tell you something. There's that old adage that my daddy used to say to me, I brought you into this world, but I can take you out. Our God is in control of all things. And though it may not feel like it, let me just say this. God is for us. And if you really want to rebel, I'm actually telling you right now, I hope that Cornerstone becomes a rebellious church. Now, let me explain before you go crazy. 
A man named David Wells once suggested that if Christians really, really, really wanted to rebel against what seems to be an insurmountable like society and government, here's what he wrote, and I'm gonna read this so you get it. We should rebel against the status quo by daring to depend on God. Let me say that again. He didn't call us to go protest. He didn't call us to go do anything first. He said we should rebel against the status quo by daring to depend on God. And look at this next part. And believing that praying to him changes things. You didn't know this all week when I was writing my devotionals. I was writing you. Uh, I was writing in the hopes that you would enter into it in a form of rebellion. Not a rebellion like the world thinks of rebellion, but a rebellion like Paul's, like God's people do. A rebellion that depends greatly upon God. Because for almost 2,000 years, since Paul wrote this very letter, Christians have dared to believe that God is for us. So let me go back to the question. How big do you think God is? Let me answer that question for you as best as I can personally. When I look at scripture, and I'm gonna read this if you don't mind, because I'm already kind of choking up before I read it. How big do you think God is, Todd? I believe that God spoke all that is into existence. I believe he flooded the world with water. I believe that God began a rescue plan through the faith he gave one man. I believe he parted the Red Sea. I believe that he destroyed the walls of Jericho. I believe he guided a shepherd boy's rock so that it would slay a giant. I believe God allowed one prophet to call down fire on a water-soaked sacrifice, and he stopped the mouse of lions for another. I believe that Jesus was begotten, not made. He was born of a virgin. I believe that he walked on water and calmed waves. I believe that he caused the blind to see and the lame to walk. I believe that he raised the dead and gave hearing to the deaf. I believe that he destroyed and defeated sin and Satan on the cross and then death by raising from being raised from the dead. I believe that for 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ, of which we are a part as followers of Jesus, has been advancing across the globe in the power of the Holy Spirit with the greatest message ever given to mankind. I believe that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, and regardless of what people might say, he still saves. I believe that one day he's coming to make all things right, and I believe that this is our time and our place and our opportunity, and not even the gates of hell can impede us. Why? Why? Because God is for us. And so in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, may God bless you this week with confidence. I love you all. I miss you all. God bless and take care.